Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anyone interested in reinventing what education is, be you a teacher, administrator, student, or a parent. On today's episode, we will look at the three aims of school in the mainstream school system. I'm Rob McLeod, and as always, joined by the illustrious Brendan O'Leary. How are you today, Brendan? I'm not too bad, Rob. Went for a little bike ride down to the port. Was nice. And yourself? Um, dear. Dealing with a lack of sleep due to a child running a very high fever over the last two nights. So maybe not on my A game, but certainly interested in our topic today and and looking forward to diving into this. Sending our love to the wee man. Hope he feels better soon. Thanks. I'm hoping that he's feeling better soon too. You just realize how big of an impact physical health has on the well-being of a household when one person's not not feeling well in a a parent-child dynamic. However, we're not here for my woes. We are here today to discuss the three aims of a mainstream school. So again, if you're new to us, if this is a first episode, a first listen for you, I'd actually recommend pause this, open up a new tab and find our 50th episode entitled Start Here 2.0. In that episode, we go through the whole narrative, the whole kind of framework that Brendan and I are using. So we won't go too far into the specifics of what an opportunity or a mainstream school is. We'll mention that in a moment. But uh, to get the broader picture, go back to our episode 50, listen to that first. And then uh, we'd invite you back. You'd probably get a lot more out of today's discussion if you if you hear that 50th episode in kind of our larger framework. So the mainstream school we're talking about today, we're saying that this is a form of school that is informed, influenced, created by the DNA of a core value of opportunity. And for examples, to put this, you know, if you're wanting to picture this, this is essentially 95% of the schools out there, we would classify as a predominantly mainstream school. So essentially any school in Britain, any school in North America, Australia, New Zealand, pretty much any nationwide schooling system is governed by this opportunity value, reinforcing this kind of mainstream approach. And again, our three kind of versions of school we talk about are the traditional school, the mainstream, and the progressive. And this season, we're diving deep into the mainstream school. Essentially, what we're talking about here is every school probably around you, except for the for the outliers. Yeah, so we essentially pegged three main aims of school, or three main aims of education also. And one of them is to prepare people to be citizens in whatever society they live in. We also have the aim of work preparation, and then we have a third aim of developing the self. Every one of the types of school, whether they be traditional, mainstream, or progressive, deals with these three aims in their own way. And what we'd like to do here is have a look at how the mainstream school, as Rob said, looks at each of these three aims. So let's look first at how the mainstream school, the one just down the street with its opportunity-led values, how does that kind of bring in the idea of citizenship, Rob? Yeah, so when discussing this idea of opportunity, what we're saying is that the school itself, in theory, is organizing itself, wanting to provide as much opportunity to all involved. Predominantly, for students moving through the system that by the time they get to the end of school, they are provided with a wealth of opportunities for what they might pursue in their lives. So with this in mind, school is all about kids meeting their potential. And we're trying to create like a social norm, a shared cultural belief in the idea that 
we all should be and can be striving to meet our full potential. Now, how do we do this in schools? Well, it's measured against like our empirical truths of what best is. So within a school, you get this kind of like culture of wanting to do your best on tests. You have this culture of wanting, you know, to work hard, to study, to do well, and seeing that that experience of, hey, if we do our best, if we try hard, we will do better down the road. This is sort of like a cultural belief, the water that we're sometimes swimming in. And that like nothing on our part as a school should stand in the way or impede a student's potential. And not just for teachers, but students as well. Like this is actually seen as like a, a citizenship, a cultural belief that that's really against our group well-being if you act in a way that will impede someone else reaching their potential. It's one thing for you to do your best and claim your spot, but it's really not okay for you to purposely hold someone else back from attaining their spot. So healthy competition, I would say, is one of the practices of citizenship that's being developed here. This idea that truth-seeking is a pinnacle of what's possible is important. So we get this measured approach to education here. We'll talk about this more in just a moment. But the idea that there are truths, there is objectivity that we can bring to the pursuit of school, which then trickles out in kind of a wider view of how we view the world as people who've been through this form of school. And also the idea that progress matters just as much as achievement. So one of the things that has changed as you move from traditional school to mainstream school is this idea of like assessing your starting point. I've often had conversations with staff about this where we say, well, it's not really useful to only have an end of a unit assessment, for example, because then you're just getting the snapshot of where the kids ended after a four or five week unit with you. What's much more helpful is to measure at the starting point of the unit. So first day, you give them, say, the final exam, mark them, see how they do, and then do that same exam at the end and see how far they've grown. Because without that, some students may have made zero progress and, let's say, ended up with a B, for example. Whereas maybe one student started at an F and has made incredible progress and they ended up with a B as well. Well, if you didn't do that initial assessment, then you wouldn't have seen that progress. And I think this is one of the really positive things about the mainstream school and, and what it brings into our collective beliefs in our, in our culture is this idea that those who progress, that's actually worth more than those who rested on their laurels and didn't improve themselves. And I, I think, you know, at the bottom of a lot of cultures, that that is a really critical and, and crucial idea. So I guess to summarize these ideas altogether, you could say like you learn to value giving your best in school, which is what will serve you and what will serve all of us best once you're out of school and once you're actually into society. And there is also this real deepening of a faith in the system around you, a deepening of the faith of school, that school will get you ready for the world and a faith that, you know, the economy is there for you and will give you opportunities and chances to to make a good life for yourself. And essentially that the system that is set up is set up for you and for us to achieve our best when and if we pursue it. And so I think at its best, a mainstream school is working to support those enlightenment values of, of equality and justice and fairness, which is bringing them quite explicitly out. I think in a traditional school, we've said before, they might be implicit. But I think the mainstream schools that actually bring values to the fore 
they can sometimes have them quite explicit. And I think that feeds into that idea that we are a group that can work together for ourselves, but for the benefit of everybody. Now, the flip side of that sometimes, and we see this as the criticism of, of mainstream culture, mainstream schools, is that sometimes that actually, those values actually don't rule the roost and the, the school becomes atomized almost, where everybody's an individual and they're working against each other. And Margaret Thatcher famously said there is no such thing as society basically implying that it's just a group of people. Everybody's an individual and it's great to be an individual, but without that support network and always feeling that you're in competition with everybody else, that's not a very pleasant place to be. So in terms of citizenship, the mainstream school can bring a lot to the table, but also has this shadow that we really want to be careful of. So as we said, there are three aims. We've now looked at citizenship. We're now going to move on to what we would argue is the predominant aim for the mainstream school. So again, we've said this throughout our history of episodes, but all three aims, so citizenship, workplace preparation, and self-development, these are present in traditional schools, they're present in mainstream schools, present in progressive schools, but each of those three kinds of school prioritizes one of these over the other two. And we are saying that for the mainstream school, when push comes to shove, if we have to look at where do our resources go, where does our money go, where does our time go, you know, which of these three is most important? At the end of the day, employment preparation, getting you ready for the job market, getting you ready for the workplace, getting you ready for the next stage of school to get you access to a better job, that is the aim of school that comes out on top. So when we're looking at the mainstream school, one of the components of school is that school does act as a filter for the workplace. And what we mean by this is, you know, you start in primary school and you maybe work your way up to middle school. And as you move through school, there's more opportunity for specialization. And then you get to high school and maybe, you know, let's say maybe half of your schedule is up to you to what you choose. And then should you choose to pursue further, you can actually get into, say, a trade, like an apprenticeship to launch yourself into work. And it will be very specialized in one field. Or you could enter college, university, and, you know, perhaps get into a master's or PhD program. And each step of school is a filter towards more specialization. And not only does school act to filter towards more specialized which is, again, tied to this idea that once you've finished that specialization, you can then leave the barrier of school and actually enter the workforce with the qualifications you need. The filter itself is set up to basically be a gatekeeper for merit. So you need to prove yourself that you are worthy to get past the gate into the next piece of school to get ready for that next step that would get you a job. Um, so this, this idea of school as a filter really emerges in the mainstream. And the idea that essentially the currency or the agency you have in this filter is to get as high of marks as you can, because marks are essentially are the code word for merit in this filter. Um, we give you general skills and then you specialize. That's essentially the nature of this filter. Now, of course, once you do enter the job market, you won't have every single skill you need to work at every single company. Of course, there will be some training when you actually do enter a job. But the idea is that you are ready to at least begin working in the job once you leave school. So the whole point of school is to prepare you for what comes after school. 
to open up opportunities when the time comes where you leave school and enter into the workforce. And so the benefits of this well-functioning mainstream school actually can help you and can help the entire nation, the entire system to put people in the best roles for them. The people who actually excel and have those skills and those competencies can be placed in the correct place and that can serve everybody. Now, of course, there's no perfect fit for everybody. And so as we get more nuanced, we look at it's about your skills balances and where you want to be in your life. But the mainstream opportunities system is much, much better prepped for this than the more traditional system, which basically saw everybody as needing the same skills and the same teaching to get those skills. So differentiation begins to come in in the mainstream where you might actually study different things in different ways at different times. But they're all seeking to serve that bigger purpose of getting you ready for the workplace eventually and the shorter term goal of getting ready for the next step of school. So the schools also potentially at their best can adapt to what the needs of the market are. They can adapt to the new technologies that help you to teach better and prepare people and they can adapt towards the differing needs of a market. And one of the big things that we hear over the last 20, 30 years is what you might call 21st century skills, skills that are a little bit more about communication, problem solving and the likes. And again, in theory, schools can see this happening in the work, in the world of work, and they can filter that back into the mainstream education system. However, doesn't always go according to plan. There's many factors within a nation and within a school system that pulls the mainstream system in a variety of ways. So Rob, what are just a couple of the bathwaters or negative implications of a system that's geared towards setting people up for work preparation? Well, the one last baby, so the one last positive I, we, I would add when discussing the mainstream school is the idea of career advice and actually having like career counselors or guidance counselors on staff in the school. Like my school, the high school I went to was, I think, about roughly a thousand students when I was there. I think we had four full-time guidance counselors on staff meeting with students, you know, as often as they wanted to, receiving advice about college programs, receiving advice on, you know, what what what's a strategic way to get you into what you want. And, you know, that's that's a huge leap forward. Now, how those career counselors, how those guidance counselors are used. I think this gets into the bathwater you're alluding to a little bit. Um, there might be a lot more talk than walk actually happening, like schools' ability to respond to the needs of the market through the, you know, kind of bureaucracy of government and things like this. It's typically not that quick that we reinvent our approach to education just to meet the modern new demands of the world around us. Um, the kind of like short-term vision of this, or rather I should say the short-term version of this um, goes back to my high school experience. And you could talk to probably 50 other people who graduated the year I did. And uh, basically the guidance counselors were pushing the idea of getting into the tool and die trade. So basically, regardless of the individual students' interests or the things they wanted to, basically they're like, Hey, tool and die is a really good opportunity. It's actually a really high paying job. And, uh, you know, it certainly requires some additional education, but it's not quite the steep learning curve that some other higher paying professions in that same bracket are. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to assume good intent and they're looking at it saying, this is a pretty good opportunity, but basically the province we were in was short of tool and die workers. And essentially anyone graduating was like, well, 
you need to get into tool and die. And I'm curious how many people actually got nudged and influenced into a career path that they maybe had zero knowledge of, zero interest in, but just simply did because that is one of those examples in the short term of, oh, this year we're short on people. Quick, get us some. And then I'd be curious two or three years later what the next job was once all the tool and die spots were filled up to say, oh, now we need horticulturalists. Quick, get, get us some more. We actually see see that in, in the teaching profession quite a lot, especially in, in Britain. There was a dearth of uh, RE teachers and physics teachers. And for, for many years, uh, the government would give a uh, golden handshake or a, uh, a little bonus to, to bring you in. I mean, and I'm sure it's sent some people off on a path that was really beneficial that maybe they never would have would have embarked on but i also as you're kind of suggesting think there may be multiple people who maybe took that ticket and then possibly it wasn't the best move for them which i guess is what we're saying here that that the response of the school to the market's needs was possibly not serving the individuals uh, necessarily as much as it was serving the short-term needs of the market and it's that way because it's a one-size-fits-all approach versus a specialization. So, you know, we've got this one size fits all kind of approach to education. And yet we have all of these very specialized jobs and like emerging new jobs that, you know, might be slightly out of alignment with older ways of education. And this is an idea, I think you and I could spend an entire episode on this, but I'll try to just summarize it in two sentences. It does things efficiently enough. This workplace preparation, it does things efficiently enough. It might not be the most effective. And in the mainstream school, this kind of opportunity approach, there is this push for both maximum efficiency and maximum effectiveness in terms of our teaching. But when you step back and you see how we're preparing people for the workforce, arguably there's a lot more we could do to be more effective. But given how expensive nationwide schooling is, it seems like we've found the kind of balance point where we say, well, it could be more effective, but this is efficient enough for our needs. We'll save the follow-up for another episode. So we've discussed two of the aims of school. We've discussed citizenship and workplace preparation, and we're arguing, making the case that the mainstream opportunity-based school prioritizes workplace preparation. But our last aim, Brendan, is the belief of the development of the self, personal development, personal wants, interests, skills, these sorts of things. What would you like to say about this? Yes. So in the mainstream school, it can be a place where you learn about your strengths, your weaknesses, your interests, and you can find out what you want to pursue in your life and you will be supported. There will be differentiated support from the members of staff to move you through this path that to some degree is self-determined. It's still within the system. It's still within what we as a nation, as a school, as it might be able to offer you. But there is some movement in there. One of the things that the mainstream school system brings is this idea of having measured and as objective as possible feedback about your personal abilities and your goals. And you spoke a little bit earlier about pre-assessment, post-assessment, and this idea of tracking kids, having clear goals, making them measurable, and then tracking those. 
with the idea that that will allow you to develop your individual skills, talents, attitudes. This is a brand new idea and this is one of the real strengths of a mainstream system based on the idea that you as an individual can set your goals and you can make progress. And once again, that will help all of us. Yeah, I think the Hollywood version of this is you hear, you know, the person who does go on to do incredibly well, who overcomes obstacles, who makes progress, even though they didn't start already a star. And then they look back and they say, oh, I, I think that teacher or I think, you know, that department or the program at my school, because they helped me realize my strengths and weaknesses. You know, they helped me find my interests. And I think in the best iteration of the mainstream school, that is a feature of it. And I think some schools in the mainstream school system explicitly do that intentionally. However, the cynical side of me would say, when you hear that story in the Hollywood movie, it was probably more because the student found that themselves, and it may or may not have been pushed explicitly by the school. Although there are, of course, all these angel teachers out there. Maybe they got lucky and they did have at least a teacher or a few teachers who were explicitly helping students to find their strengths, their interests, their weaknesses, all these kinds of things, and really find a, a custom way to speak to that individual. So a bit of the bathwater here. We've hinted at this, but Brendan O'Leary, you would love to just have a, a bee farm and to, to grow your own honey. And well, the challenge in the opportunity system is perhaps you do find your strength. Perhaps you do find your interests. Perhaps you do see the opportunities that you want to pursue, but the bigger system around you might actually move you away from your own dreams or skills. So maybe you have this vision and then you have a guidance counselor who during your four meetings in your final year of school just keeps pushing tool and die on you, for example. Or you do get yourself ready and you get out there, you get the farm and all that kind of stuff. And just the market and the world around you and your set of circumstances don't support that. And you've pursued it, it's failed. And now you need to find something else to do. We as individuals still want to pursue our own paths, but sometimes our paths are not in accordance or supported by the larger system that we find ourselves in. Or as you were alluding to earlier, just simply year by year, just job availability in different sectors. Maybe you were top of your class. Maybe you were in the top 1% and maybe you did incredibly well and you totally killed it. But at the end of the year, you know, in 2021, there was just no jobs in that sector. And the, that very monodirectional path you've taken in school, unfortunately, didn't line up with the greater system around you. And as you alluded to very casually there, all of these things we're talking about are still within the domain of school. So the idea of success, the idea of your path, all of these things, it's still on the terms of the school and what the school is willing to provide you. There are things that are just simply not available to you in school in terms of opportunities to pursue, or rather more so paths to pursue maybe opportunities that you are interested in. I mean, the, the truth is that to really find our own path in life and what's special and meaningful to us takes years. And it's also not the monopoly of school to provide that. It is simply one piece of the puzzle. It is, and it is one piece of the puzzle. And I want to just dig into a little bit in a few minutes about how these three are balanced. We've already said that there's a, a heavy leaning towards the work preparation. I think of the three, this one outside of maybe kindergarten starts to get 
short shift because it takes so much time, takes so many resources and it isn't efficient and it's not even clear often where it's going. And we see this much more in the progressive school, of course, but still the mainstream school at its best finds those moments, whether that's in a club, whether that's in a project, some community project that you might be part of to give you these opportunities to develop, but they are somewhat few and far between in the mainstream school. So do we do we have a few minutes where we can maybe jump into how school attempts to balance those three or why there isn't always such an equal balance of the three? Yeah, I'd appreciate that opportunity. You've done a lot of interesting research and probably don't have time to go into the uh, the depth we'd like to maybe save some of these links for another episode as well. But yeah, bring it to me, Brendan. I guess two big ideas that kept coming back was that essentially across, say, Britain or whatever, we've largely agreed on the the main aim of education, that is to bring people to their full realization, whatever that means. And that's where the problem starts, because then you have to define it. Every single mission statement of every single school and even business will be will talk about meeting potential and getting people to meet, to, to be what they can be. But then when we begin to implement these more instrumental and, and smaller aims, the three that we've cited of work preparation, citizenship and self-development, the implementation of them in a school and how we assess them and how we assign our resources of time and energy, that really highlights the difference in the underlying value. So that underlying value of the mainstream school is one of opportunity. It is one of those enlightenment values and that capitalist system where we are working as individuals, but we support each other to build a stronger system using measurement, trying to be as objective as possible about it. And so one question that kept popping up about when there's this tug of war between especially the self-development element of school and the work prep element is can we do both of them? Is there a way to balance them both? And the the hard thing is that you, you can't really dedicate a large amount of your time to these basic skills in these subjects, English, math, science, and so on, and specializing more and more, while at the same time giving these these opportunities for the large amounts of time and energy required to actually develop yourself. So that's that's really at the core of maybe the last 40 or 50 years of education. The In the 70s, progressive education had a bit of a heyday in some areas where child-centered learning was did get put at the fore a little bit more. It was heavily criticized in some areas, but it was also celebrated in many others. But what we saw then after that in the 80s and 90s is a, is a move back heavily towards that opportunity value with with nationwide level economic policy driving education and that essentially meaning that work preparation became the main focus of school. So I certainly agree that it seems like the mainstream school values the aim of getting you ready for work more than anything else. And as we've said a few times now, one of the checks it uses to prove that it's actually doing that is measuring progress. And I think this is where the mainstream school may have work to do to better balance workplace preparation and that sort of self-development. The self-development one, that's like one of those feel-good ones. We like hearing stories about school, you know, putting more emphasis on the individual and helping them 
emerge and grow and develop. Citizenship, yeah, kind of the same with likely to building communities. The work prep one, we know that's important, but sometimes it has a little bit less of like a, a positive feel, at least when compared to the idea of like helping your child you know, become all they can be and, and grow as a person just sounds a little bit less heartwarming than we're going to get them ready for accounting or, you know, something like that, not to besmirch accounting by any means. So the mainstream school operates with this larger kind of checks and balances, measuring progress and all that. And when we follow that line back, we just end up coming to the curriculum. And essentially the mainstream schools now are essentially just ensuring that a curriculum is being followed and the school is measuring a student's progress through that curriculum. And I guess the real question comes down to how much self-development is actually embedded and required in the curriculum? And if so, how is that being measured? And is that measurement authentic, relevant, useful? Because I think until that idea of self-development is truly embedded within the curriculum, we'll pay some lip service to it. We'll have a few special days or maybe some kind of project week or you know, a time where you, one week where everyone gets to do their thing or whatever, but that I'd, without having actual objectives for human development in each grade level, within each year level approximately, I think it just ends up being arbitrary and like bonus cherry on the cake if you can get it, but uh, not necessarily essential. Whereas these more skill-based objectives that in theory are getting you ready for the workforce take priority. And I, I guess one of the things that, that the research that I looked into showed, especially a, a, an analysis of British schools and, and Western European schools over the last 40, 50 years, kind of suggested that all of these child-centered programs or citizenship-centered programs essentially became subsumed or they were filtered through the workplace kind of mindset. So, yeah, we might do this, but if we're going to put a large amount of resources towards it, we're going to have to at some point make sure that it's going to get you ready for a job. Basically, it seems to suggest that you might find a way to get a child-centered project into a mainstream school. You've got much, much better chance if you can actually persuade people that this child-centered project is going to get them further down the line towards that, what they call academic capital, i.e. qualifications or a step towards the world of work. And so that's why when you read a lot of newspaper articles that seem to be talking about citizenship or wellness or any kind of self-development for the child, just see how far it is down that page before the idea of getting better scores on tests or something to do with work prep pops up because as soon as it does, you know that that's been filtered through the eyes of the workplace prep. And so I think that's kind of what I'm seeing that even though you may find some of the three aims of school, you may encounter some citizenship and some some self-development, I always got to ask, is this being, is this, is this really for the purpose of citizenship and self-development at its core, or is it just being filtered through the workplace prep? And hopefully it genuinely is there because we believe we want, or we want better citizenship and give some time also to that self-development. Keep your eyes up when you see it and see whether it genuinely is there for that reason. I almost want to make this chart now of what the decision-making hierarchy would be when I think from my like 
mainstream school self. And I think it's kind of like if you're going to bring some new initiative into a school, the top priority is for sure that it ticks the workplace prep box. And then like maybe tied with that is workplace and self-development or workplace and citizenship or workplace self-development and citizenship. It's like those would almost be on equal footing. And as long as you're doing one of those, it's the best. Now, clearly the one that ticks both the job prep and self-development, that's clearly offering more value, but it shows that we don't truly value it because we, most of us, most schools, most nations at this point, of course, would say they want that. But then when you actually watch what gets funding or you watch what gets pushed, it's just on equal footing with something that maybe only has that kind of work preparation side. And I'd be happy if anyone can find examples to prove me totally wrong on that. Um, but I, I think that would be the flowchart. And then it's sort of like much behind that in second place might be something about citizenship only and no work prep. And then far below that would be just straight up self-development with no evidence it's going to help you clearly. There'd be no direct causal link towards like workplace preparation. And I really do need to find this link because I've referenced it probably three times across the course of this podcast history. But there was that one school, I do believe it was in Britain. It was on, on, in an article criticizing the use of mindfulness in schools. And basically it was this headmaster saying something to the effect of like, yeah, we brought in 10 minutes of mindfulness meditation every morning. And like the kids reported that they loved it. And, you know, school fights were down and, uh, you know, students were much more focused during the day. And, you know, and also our test scores went up. Like that's, that's fantastic. Now we tried 20 minutes a day of meditation and kids reported they found that really useful and actually much better and, and great, but it didn't have an effect on their test scores. So we brought it back down to just 10 minutes a day. And it was like, that's so borderline dystopian and like scary, but it was such a good example to me of like, yeah, it seemed like 20 minutes was bringing even more, more benefits for everything else, but, but there was no noticeable improvement in test scores. So, so we dropped that. And to me, that would be an example of sort of the, one of the sort of more less desirable aspects of the mainstream school would be to reduce something like that to that. Yeah. And maybe the last point and we can, try and wrap it up here but when we spoke to Brad Kirshner a few weeks ago and hopefully we get a chance to speak to him again soon he spoke about code versus cognition actually what's going on inside your head what's your actual rationale and your purpose for doing things versus what you're saying what you're doing what's happening and it seems like maybe that's a version of that and you know this idea that well Rob you know and I can almost hear the voices well Rob you know it is nice that they do that in school well you know of course they do need a job when they get out and it's like we're not saying any of that is wrong. We're not criticizing that in and of itself. We're asking, let's be critical and see that if we are actually doing something and saying it's for the self-development of the individual, is it really? And is it on their terms? Or is it just self-development so they can get that tool and die job a couple of years down the line? Let's just try and separate those things and, and really be clear that if it is citizenship, for citizenship's sake, fantastic. If we're saying it's citizenship, but really we're trying to just sneak in a little bit of work prep, 
let's be honest about it and say it's serving both of those purposes and let's see whether it's actually serving both of those purposes well because at its core that that is really what the mainstream enlightenment kind of values the opportunity value wants it wants that honesty that clarity that measurable progress it's not about sneaking things through through the back door so what's up next for us brendan I believe in the next episode, we're going to start digging into something a little bit more concrete, i.e. the actual campus and facilities and school buildings that you might find in a mainstream school. So we're going to have a little bit of a look at what uh, school grounds and, uh, and the gym and the dining hall. And how does that differ in your mainstream school to the traditional school we looked at and to the progressive school that one fine day we'll also take a look at? All right. I appreciate this deep dive into the mainstream school. And there are a lot of themes that I think we're going to come back to time and time again. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Rob. Now, what I've not been doing recently is using the end piece because it's kind of doesn't make so much sense anymore. Do you want to throw in an, an end piece like follow us up on twitter or what listen where you get your pod your podcast so you don't you don't think it serves much of a purpose no i think it's worth having one well this can be it i think it's worth having one but i don't think you and i have found the authentic way to connect and relate and create a community outside of this podcast yet so here's the call to action if this gets tagged on at the end of the episode Reach out to us and let us actually know what you would even care about or would actually get enthused by in terms of a way to create community around these ideas. Because it sure as heck doesn't seem to be Facebook groups anymore. And uh, Twitter seems complex. I know there are other platforms out there. But hey, maybe it's not even digital. Zoom calls, what would you guys like? Reach out to us because things we've tried haven't worked thus far. Truth, but we still love you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners, take it easy. We'll see you in two Earth weeks. Bye. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> <laughs>